Good morning, friends. Uh, Today's message is, Don't Waste Your Pain. And my uh, text is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Early on in my ministry life, I was faced with a few funerals and counseling situations that caused me to wonder and indeed question how I could best handle pain or help people handle pain. In other words, what could I tell someone who is going through tough times? How can I console someone in their grief process as they bury a family member or suddenly find themselves battling a health issue? And how could I deal with it personally in my own times of pain? I still recall the day when I just happened to open my Bible. You know how that works. And I opened it to Second Corinthians chapter 1 and began to read. And as I read, I scribbled down a few thoughts on a legal pad. And when done, I looked over my notes and then began to see a pattern and perhaps an answer to the question, how do I handle the pain? Now, what follows are just a few thoughts that have served me well on a personal level and it, as well at times I've ministered to other people. And perhaps you will find them beneficial as well. So what are the benefits of pain? Well, let's look at Paul's words. <clears throat> but first of all, he says our pain draws us closer to the Lord. In verses 3 to 5, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also Christ, our comfort, overflows. You see, there's a divine purpose at work in your life and in mine, and that a divine purpose begins with God. Paul calls him the father of compassion. And I've learned about this many years ago. When our son was just a, a baby, like most babies, he wake up crying. And I can remember rolling over many times and wanting to put the pillow over my head, hoping that the noise would go away. But knowing how tired, you know, his mom might be, on occasion I told her just to go back to sleep and that I'd take care of Eric. I'd just get up and pick him up and hold his with his head on my shoulder, and I'd walk around our small apartment talking and singing quietly. Now, I'm not the best singer by any means, but it seemed to help settle him down a little bit. And after some time, he'd finally fall asleep, and I'd put him back in his crib and back to bed myself. Now, I'm not a perfect father, but I'd do that for my son. And would God do any less for me? No, he'd do far more. After all, he's the father of compassion. Now, notice what he says in verse 4 who comforts us in all our troubles. That means that when I'm sick, he's there by my bedside. When I run out of money, he's there with me in poverty. When I am hated and despised, he stands by my side. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he takes me by the hand and leads me on through. Friends, we never discover the depth of God's compassion until we get in a place where we need God's compassion desperately. You don't receive mercy until you're in real trouble. Now, second of all, benefit of pain. It uh, equips us to minister to other people. In verses 6 and 7, if we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. See, Paul looked at the hardship and the deprivation, the imprisonment, the unrelenting opposition he faced, and he concluded, this isn't just for me. God's doing something in me for the benefit of other people. You see, friends, we, we really never suffer alone. 
Someone else is always watching. Our friends watch to see how we respond to tragedy. They want to know if what we say we believe is enough for us in the hard times. And further in the distance, others watch what we go through. I mean, many of them, perhaps unbelievers, who wonder if Jesus is real. They don't know. They aren't sure. Maybe they've read the Bible. Maybe they, <clears throat> they haven't. But they're watching how we respond to mistreatment or false accusations or sickness, the loss of a job, the end of a marriage, a career setback, a financial collapse. And from the shadows, they kind of look out to watch the suffering saint to see if what he or she is real or not. Now, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. <clears throat> our afflictions often soften our hearts so that when we have received the comfort of God, it is easy for us to pass it along to someone else. And I would tell you that we need this in the church of Jesus. It's so easy for us to be callous at times. It's even so uh, convenient to be unkind. It's easy to look down our noses at that people are going through hard times, and we, we say so carelessly, well, why don't they just get tough? Why don't they just grow, get some backbone? Why don't they quit complaining and get on with life? Why can't they be strong like the rest of us? See, God lets us go through hard times to break us of that attitude and soften us so that we're able to minister in the name of Jesus to hurting people. Yes, friends, many of us have hardened places in our lives that will not become tender until we go through the fires of affliction. God lets that happen so that we might reach out to others and comfort them. And third, our pain empties us of all self-reliance. Verses 8 to 10 say, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happens so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on with Paul at that time in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. It might have been the, the extreme opposition from the Jewish leaders. It might have been some sort of serious physical ailment, you know, his thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, the Corinthians knew about it, and they understood that Paul, that Paul thought during his ordeal that he was going to die. He writes to tell of God's deliverance and to ask the Corinthians for their prayers. Now, when tragedy strikes or when hard times come or when friends turn against us or the bottom drops out, we wonder often why things happen the way they do. Now, here's one important explanation. Hard times come to teach us not to trust in ourselves but only in the Lord who raises the dead. Now, most of us are pretty good at handling the, you know, the little problems of life. And we can deal with cranky children or a prickly boss or a bad case of the flu or a pile of work that gets dumped on our desk. And we understand normal pressures and we learn how to deal with them. But sometimes things happen that strip the gears of life and force us to our knees and sometimes all the way down so that we are flat on the ground. At that point, when all human options are foreclosed, our only hope is in the Lord. We cry out to God in desperation, knowing that if he doesn't help, we're sunk. That's a lesson we must learn over and over again. And there's a fourth thing that pain does for us. It reveals the true power of prayer. Verse 11, as you help us by your prayers, 
then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now, I like that phrase, uh, you help us by your prayers. Now, Paul uses a Greek word that occurs only here in the New Testament. It's a compound word that comes from three other words, meaning with, under, and work. It's kind of what the Amish did in the old days. I guess they still do it today when they had a barn raising. They literally got under the frame, lifting it up together and holding it up so that it can be put in the right place. In the same way, um, we join together and lift the burdens of life as we pray with and for each other. Now, many times we view prayer as kind of the last resort when it ought to be the first resort. I know that prayer sometimes seems futile because we need to do something. You know, praying is fine, but how about if we bake a cake? Well, that's fine too, but don't fall into the trap of separating life into the spiritual and the practical as if baking a cake is real help while prayer is just something spiritual we do when we can't do anything else. You know, very nearly the opposite is true. Through prayer, we unleash the power of heaven for the problems we face on the earth. So we ought to pray more not less, in times of trouble. Knowing that others are praying for us gives us strength to keep going. God has ordained that our prayers matter. And pause over that thought for a moment. It makes a difference whether or not we pray. Paul is saying, when I thought I was going to die, you prayed and God delivered me. Friends, we will never know until we get to heaven how many times the prayers of others rescued us. But I believe in that great day when all the secrets are revealed, we're going to discover that we would have fallen but someone prayed for us. We would have given up, but someone was praying for us. We would have made a stupid decision, but someone prayed for us. We would have given in to temptation, but someone prayed for us. We would have retaliated, but someone prayed for us. We would have crumpled under pressure, but someone prayed for us. When all is said and done, we will learn that God uses the prayers of others to enable us to make the journey from earth to heaven, and we will discover that without those God-inspired prayers, we might never have made it. We ought to pray for others, and we ought to give thanks together when our prayers are answered. When we pray, we join hands with God to bless others and to advance his cause on the earth. Through united prayer, we knock holes in the darkness to let the light of Jesus shine in. This is why, Scripture says, the devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. In my life, I have learned this lesson. I'm known as exempt from the trials of life. Becoming a Christian is wonderful, but it doesn't free you from the burdens of life. In many ways, becoming a Christian can increase your troubles because of spiritual opposition. When hard times come, we only have two choices. We can suffer with God, or we can suffer without God. Now, that much I have said many times, but now I want to add something to that. When hard times come, we can suffer by ourselves, or we can suffer with the people of God. As we receive comfort, we're equipped to minister to others. We then pass along to others what God has given to us. This is the very essence of being a Christ follower. From God, to us, to others. Now, sadly, some never discover this truth. They are perpetual gripers when things get difficult. You know, life is never fair. They always get the short end of the stick, or God singled them out for punishment. Such people never have a ministry to others because they constantly fight against God's perspective on their trials and remain tough and hardened when they ought to be soft and tender. As a result, they have nothing to pass along 
to anyone else. May I suggest one simple step of application? You know, many of us would like a personal ministry, but we don't really know where to begin. I think this passage suggests that our personal ministry begins as we share with others what God has shared with us. That means there are people in your life right now who need the help only you can give. Some of them need a word of encouragement, and you're the only one who can give them that word. Some of them are just staggering along beneath a heavy load, and you're the only one who can lift that burden from their shoulders. Some of them are about to quit, and you are the only one who can keep them in the race. Some of them have been hit with a an incredible string of trials, and you're the only one that can help them keep going along. Those people are all around you. Your only problem is that you don't see them. My friend Dr. Kent Hunter taught me this years ago, pray that God will give you missionary eyes. Those are eyes that see the real needs of the people you meet. Pray that God will bring at least one person across your path who needs the help only you can give. That's a prayer God will answer. For there are people all around you who are just barely making it. You see them where you work or they live next door. Your kids go to school with their kids. They're out there waiting for someone to give them help. We have experienced the goodness of the Lord. God has helped us for a purpose, that we might take what we have received and share it with those who desperately need it. So friends, don't waste your pain. Use it to grow closer to the Lord and to his people. Use it as a means to minister to other people. And may God raise up an army of wounded healers who will take the comfort that we have received and in Jesus' name offer it to a hurting, waiting, watching world. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.